0: Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm Matt Powers, your host. I'm so excited to have you guys on here. Thank you so much for joining me. We're talking tonight with Cuauhtémoc Villa. He is an amazing person. He kind of glows when you meet him. He has this sweet spirit and this 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 just he resonates with kindness and connection. He really reaches people and listens to people and so He's just an amazing person, and when I first met him, he gave me these mochi balls, which are—I'm um, reading here from this this website, uh, TimberwolfHQ.com. So, mochi marbles, mochi balls, shamanic star stones. Basically, what these are—they're—they're um, they're, they're oddities, right? So they're hematite, they're iron oxide. Uh, They're congealed around a sandstone center, which may be stained in red or yellow from the iron oxides leaching into the sand. So I don't want to break mine open to verify this, but apparently inside, they sound really interesting too. I've got them in the the, the other room. But he gave me these. And you hold them, and they've got this weight. They, They look unassuming, but they've got this deeper weight. And... That, you know, that in itself is a metaphor. Yeah, I was just really blown away by him when I met him. And I was immediately impressed that I wanted him part of any events that I did in the future. And a year later, I was designing the children's section of the Heirloom Expo. And I turned to him and asked him to come and he blew my mind. He blew my mind. What he did with the children was physical. had games that were physical, the kids were playing, but what they were learning, the content and the words, the vocabulary, was all microbiology, and it it blew my mind. I I couldn't believe it. So he's an incredible teacher, Uh, so let's dive in and hear what his story is now. So speaking of culture, speaking of creating community traditions, you know, making these permanent patterns part of our permanent cultures, uh, linking nature to our understanding, our patterns for expression. You do this so well. And I've, I've had the pleasure. You know, and the funny thing was, it's like I knew you could do this. Be- even before I got to witness to you. And then I got to see it at the Heirloom Expo last year where you were teaching with with other teachers, with your family, to children, with adults there too, in front of everybody in a public space, totally exposed. And you rocked it. And you had the kids engaged. They were excited. And it was phys- it was kinesthetic learning. And not many people have the ability to get kids moving in an educational way, talking and participating. You did it effortlessly and I was so impressed. So can you can you let us in? Where did you learn all that? And are you gonna be turning this into like a, a manual or online course or, or something to train people? Because the reality is there's few teachers that actually can blend all those things, the environment, you know, people care, um, and actual, science you know and you do it all
1: thank you um yeah so i think a lot of that has to do with the intuition and it kind of like you said you didn't know my work before you didn't know um you only knew that i could do it so i think in gardening what we do is we begin to build an intuition and for myself and my own self-healing that's exactly where the garden was for me it's intuition So you obviously have good intuition with your permaculture practices. That's how we thrive in permaculture, following those gut feelings and watching nature. And then you kind of sat back and you watched me. You've been watching me from afar, so your intuition of knowing that I can get this done, gut feeling is exactly what we try to grow most in gardening. Because those gut feelings, as you saw, is what guides us towards life and points us in the direction so we can continue to be regenerative in our environment and in our community. So, that being said, that's exactly how this thing started. I mean, Matt, I'm a, I am ai got injured. I'm an electrician by trade. I blew my hand up at work. I couldn't get back to work. I couldn't use my right hand. And before that, I relied completely on my physical ability. You know, I played football for 2009 years old. I wrestled. I mean, everything was just rough and tough, boy stuff. And when I got injured with my dominant hand, my whole life changed. I was no longer uh, my back is my back is out. My neck is out. So in order to survive, I had to rely on a different part of myself. And having kids, I knew that my rough, tough side was always balanced by the children. You know, the kids, man, they really bring out that side in me that just also develops your intuition like a garden. And the more I invested and grew with my children, the more fruitful life became with my family. So I started out just very small with my family and trying to get back into the workplace thinking that I could still overcome these physical injuries with my, uh, toughness. Um, I became a stay at home dad and trying to keep the kids active. I, I slowly began because we have four kids and it, it can be real tough and, and with the injuries. But I noticed that the other kids were starting to hang around my place as well. And we'd start doing these group, group activities. And, um, there was something growing inside of me. The more I gave myself to the little ones. and the neighborhood kids is really where it started. We do these little fun games, and the energy you can see that we used to develop the activities with these kids also developed our communities and the parents would begin. Our, our community started to really hang out together, and I, I just knew that there was something I was following. I couldn't put my finger on it until so, you know I started to to come around a little bit more, like. Moved out, and I um, went to I helped the kids out in the garden in that, at that time, and I noticed that the little ones were always kind of like watching what we did, and I could feel that energy growing, but on the off hours, I think is where it really made a difference for me, Matt, and I was able to fine-tune this thing into the display that you liked. And I noticed that when I would um, teach the kids the garden, I did really well with the older ones, but the little ones, the kindergartners, I can only have their attention for such a short time that I had to change my technique. And one day we were hanging out with the parents and it was after school and we do what adults do. We hang out, we barbecue and we drink beer. But I noticed the kids who I taught in school still wanted to play with me and they were watching me. And I was sitting there with the parents wanting to have adult time, but the kids, they don't really know the difference. And they're watching what I'm drinking and they're watching me and it hit me Matt, like, a, like a light. And it hit me that the lessons from the parents the best ones are not the ones that we teach or write down, but the actions that we display. And with that light bulb, I realized that if I showed the little ones the actions and what I wanted them to do, because the kindergarten class was about to make me quit this whole thing. They didn't want to listen. But if I showed them and they, cause it watched me. If I showed them, they were able to copy me and we were able to get the work done with extra time and pick up big projects. So me, learning the lesson that little ones always watch not just read what they learn, but watch so your actions have always got your movements have always got to be right and then they would repeat those movements and they build community with those movements because they go home and garden and they're trying to plant things and they're asking their parents to help them and then the parents next thing you know they're coming out to the garden mr v can you come and help me the kids want to plant tomatoes i don't know what i'm doing So then intuition now is really fired inside and you begin to see, my God, we're just goofing in the garden here. And all of a sudden it's it's starting to trickle at home. And I realized that if I could really put myself in a position and let the distractions go and develop this thing that's happening with the kids, they're gonna take the lessons right home and teach it at home better than I ever can ever put down. So I really focused on making sure my movements were right so they can make their movements good at home. And it it happened, it happened so fast and so big that in the community we'd have these events. And I'm not a gardener, I wasn't a a gardener. I was just doing it for my own self. But as I grew, my garden grew and my community grew. So how can you stop that after that? And then I, I, you know, as you know, I'm involved in something called um, Bokashi effective Microorganisms. That was my entryway back into the workforce. Um, A lot of people at that time, I had no understanding of microbial life, of the soil, very little, not enough to keep me surviving with four kids headed off to college. So I felt the best way to get this information out about sustainable practices and in the insect microorganisms was to insert it into a school program. And that's what we did. I would just basically take other lessons I would watch on YouTube, Matt and then tried to switch them around as if I w- it was microbe they were talking about. And there's a lot of stuff that you can translate that, that way. But most of the games that you saw were taken from other school games that can be found on, on YouTube.
0: Wow, you see you're adapting. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. truly incredible. Remix, mashup, I mean, that's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. We borrow from each other, you know that. Well, that's the I, only I, way. I think, there's no original
0: yeah. ideas. Um, we are just recombining and remixing and copying all what came before.
1: Yeah, and that's the way of the microbes, right? So they make things more complex. They take it in, reprocess it, refine it. And it as long as it's, the intention is right, and you're doing it to give back, not to control and and um, build up your own your own um, ambitions and your, and your own game, but really trying to get this thing out so that. It can be effective, and people can refine it. And you're not, you're not upset when it gets refined and come back to you. Then you're in the right place, I think. And it's that co-creative cool side where I think this whole thing takes place, where we can push each other to that little spot where we are creating, whether it's a garden, whether it's artwork, whether it's music. It's in that co-creation cool zone where we're pulling out the sting from that place where I think we're most happier. Now, for us, of course, the garden is a starting point but it's not the end point. And I, I noticed that the garden then became a place where the musicians wanted to help us fundraise and then I could begin to see the attachment to music in the garden and all these branches associated with the co-creating side of permaculture. It's all together.
0: Amazing. So my, my audience might know what Bokashi is they might not. So how about we define that and dive into that for a moment.
1: Okay, real quick. So Bokashi is a Japanese word and it means fermented organic matter. And essentially the goal of the ancient Bokashi method was to take some form of organic matter and bury it in a place where those microorganisms can then inoculate that offering, whether it was, it was rice or wheat or corn. But Buried organic matter within collect the microorganisms that are helping build that area and are indigenous to that area. Now, each area, as we know, whether we're in a forest or we're out in the prairie, are going to house different fungi and bacteria. So essentially, the Bokashi method was the ancient collection of going out to take these sacred building um, energies, which we now call microbes, and put them onto that offering, a small offering, and then bringing the small offering back to a larger medium and culturing it all together. Science today, Dr. Kirokiga, has taken Bokashi and used a collective consortia of microorganisms consisting of photosynthetic bacteria, which can be found in the belly of the earthworm and on the edges of the water and the shore, lactic acid bacteria, which we know is associated with pickling and yeast that we know is associated with fermenting beers and wines. So he's taken these um, 3 base classes of microorganisms, and he's made a version he's called Bokashi. So that would be the scientific form of the microorganisms, but essentially the goal was to get the person out in nature to a spot where they can watch and see nature working. And I mean that, you know, the river was flowing, there was fish in there, dragonflies flying birds in the tree, ecology happening, you know, microbiology must definitely be happening. So the whole practice was to get you out to study the places where you would like to bring back to the garden. So EM, effective microorganisms, and Bokashi is reference to the three class of microorganisms. But when you look at it deeper, the indigenous microorganism collection practices um, are completely uh, equivalent of
0: bokashi fascinating so mm-hmm. indigenous microbes would be exactly what compost embodies as well
1: correct And as we compost everybody compost something a little bit different
0: oh yeah and when i say compost so, i um, mean hot compost thermophilic compost
1: yeah so and it depends on where we're composting it's like um they're all going to have their unique class of microorganisms indigenous to that area. Now what I find unique about Dr. Higa's collected um, consortia of microorganisms is when we use those organisms in large amounts, and I'm talking like Earth University where this technology is taught and their bananas are actually sold at Whole Foods currently. They've used this technology 17 years the Like the photosynthetic bacteria, and yeast, and the EM for a long time. And when they test the soil, you think that these cultures would dominate the soil. But in essence, we found that the EM cannot hardly even be found. None of those microbes can be found. And that the EM has actually come in and regenerated and provided the catalyst so that the native microbes that do live there, they use them as a food source. So EM has no problem sacrificing itself to build up the network once it's established. It's not like a, you're introducing a microbial that is um, destined to take over. These things come to teach, build up, and then go away. Once right. that has happened, then the area is sustainable.
0: Right. So this this um, also connects to Korean natural farming, Um and a lot of the the preps they create um, are anaerobic, and you wouldn't want to like rub it in your eyes. But what it acts like is a is a um, like a pesticide or a fungicide, and then it degrades into food. Um, and and I know that's some of the preps that they do. Uh, it's the same thing. So it's, it's fascinating because people, um, I think, feel like it's this or compost. But compost is ramping up that base of native microbes rather than special, like, facilitative. Not faculty. You know I mean? I'm not saying facultative. I'm saying facilitative. So it's, it's these um, – it's like AMF, like arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi shows up and within – a week to two weeks is gone mm. and it's like where are these fungi and bacteria coming from that's the other mysterious thing um the the thermophilic fungi and bacteria like we don't find it until like it gets up to temperature and then it's oh, they're there where did they come from we don't know you know what i mean so, yeah
1: yeah it, it, it there are a lot of fun and you know, kind of research and look back. And when I look at the photosynthetic, um, bacteria that they use in EM,
0: cyanobacteria, I, I pur- is that the purple cyanobacteria? It,
1: this is a purple non-sulfur bacteria.
0: Okay. So this,
1: this particular bacteria feeds four different ways, Matt. I mean, he'll feed chemically, he'll feed, you know, uh, traditionally off sugars. This guy feeds off of life like a plant will. I mean, here. it, it, it if you were to think about the first microbes landing on earth pnsb has got to be top of the list he lives in volcanoes so he's very happy everything he consumes he basically gasses off as uh, ox- oxygen right so you can see where yeah so uh, you can see where this particular bacteria and then living in the belly of the worm uh, that's a friend i trust very closely you live with a worm you're pretty you've pretty got a symbiosis relationship he lives in the belly of the worm he's at the edges of the water so we know life came out of the water there, uh, at the edges of the rock. That this particular microbe definitely, he synthesizes the other things that the rest of life needs to kind of thrive. But the idea when you look at him and study him, you say, well, this fella lives in uh, anaerobic conditions. But you're right, but he's farting oxygen. So when you think about it that way, you believe to see where he is um, a in between, a go-between of life because he does dabble in those dark areas of anaerobic areas but he also creates aerobic conditions for other things to live there so when we are studying and that's the thing we hardly know anything about these microorganisms but the fact that we know that this guy could consume electrons and give off electrons as we begin to look at this new part of microbiology these electron-loving microbes that you could begin to see where this particular microbe who can Take care of those microorganisms that need uh, stuff synthesized for them, but also take care of these other guys that are electron-loving, similar to our plants. I mean, this is a whole different world. So this this is where I really begin to look at, even though you do like anaerobic conditions, PNSB, you also dabble in electron light giving energy and also oxygen-giving uh, capacity. So wow. very unique, very unique. I mean... Group of microbes that work we don't know much about organisms as we know that we cannot ignore that these um electron loving guys may have probably been some of the first guys to land here because that there is the the light would have been here first before anything else
0: right and so yeah. all these different things are criticized because they're like we don't find this in nature happening in the middle of a forest and we don't find but the reality is these are reset buttons that are universal yes. to our yes. ecologies. and that, and Absolutely. Right, and so mm-hmm. we're really like, tr- and, and what are we trying to do with all, like, all of our current ecologies? We're trying to hit the reset button as hard as we can because we went too far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we drained no, the no, natural no. capital from our environment. So th- this yeah, is I incredible. Just, You've explained yeah, it better than the so internet has.
1: <laughs> Yeah, we get so excited, huh? But this is what drives me about that whole carbon thing that we're doing with the biochar is because if this planet was pure carbon, you can see where those electrons loving microbes would have really needed to get a foothold to then build the rest of the planet that we get to enjoy today. So even though we don't get to see what their early work, if we look at it scientifically, we, it's all there for us. We're looking at the end results, the complexity right now. But let, let's keep digging back. And let's look at these early planet builders, and we'll find out. It's electron-loving, and the more char I can contribute to this co-creating process, the more they can build. And and it's in that carbon where they access that data, that silica, that carbon continually holds information of that growing plant, that it can use that for the next genesis of growth. And that's part of the epigenetics of seeds, is we've got to keep throwing that carbon down from plants in that area, To encourage that co-creative complexity that these unseen microbes are trying to continually do.
0: I wish we had a book. I wish we had a book that was like the host of these characters. So, arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi is one of the oldest fungi, and it defies categorization because it literally can eat and absorb and then use fluidly the nuclei of other fungi. And so we don't know who is in charge, so to speak. Because we categorize things by the brain, and we think the nucleus is the brain. But if there's seven nuclei, and they're fluidly choosing between it as they encounter things, we don't actually know where the brain is. We don't actually know what controls things. And it's one of the oldest. So, <laughs> we're, 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 I love it. We, that's, and you know what's so cool is... There's, the, there's so many different camps right now in our, in our political and our scientific, but there's this new camp forming where everyone seems to be flowing, and that's that camp that I'm excited to learn something new. And the okay. 80s, where I grew up, everything was already decided. It was done, and there was a few scientists over there who were like the geniuses, the great minds, and there's like three of them, apparently, and they're gonna decide what's <laughs> next in the next thing. And so we were just supposed to go get jobs and work as cogs in this great machine, you know, and that's just not even real. And everyone accepts that. (laughs) So we, yeah, we,
1: I love it. We threw that out the window, did we? And that's the thing: is when you love, when you really love these things, it really pushes you in the areas to keep going and 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 looking for more knowledge. Because my God, I, I barely got a GED in high school. I hated that place.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's designed it's, for you to hate it. It's... I didn't
1: I did like, you know. But now, my you can't you can't stop me from learning things. That's all I'm doing is. It's like I can't tell the difference between work and playing because I'm enjoying learning all this stuff so much. And like you said, it'd be good if there was books that they had this stuff. But the reality is, they're so busy in their disciplines that they really have to cross disciplines. And we're really getting that now, though, Matt. Well, cross-disciplines is how this is done. Oh, yeah. Because I didn't just get this from microbiology. I had to study the hell out of electromagnetic fields and so many other things to bring this thing all together. And there's a lot of uh, things happening now where the disciplines now are crossing over and the universities are, are um, encouraging that type of adaptation. And that's how we push the envelope forward because they know this information isn't coming from our circles. It's coming from outside our circles, and it's forcing us to work with people we don't usually work with. And by doing that, we then can open the doors to this knowledge. But it's about really coming out of our comfort zone, and really following our intuition, working with those people that we thought we weren't going to work with before, if intuition says that's where it's at. And the knowledge just flows like a river at that point.
0: Yeah, I absolutely believe it's true. And I think that there's a lot of people who are locked into the, that 80s mindset. They're like, well, the government will take care of it, or "Or this is going to happen. It's like, no, 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 no. If you are hearing this, you are the one that must act mm-hmm. in your community. You. No one else. If you're hearing this, that means you've been selected.
1: <laughs> no, true story right there. As I told you at the beginning, I'm a stay-at-home dad just trying to plant a garden to keep my sanity because I couldn't go back to my old way of work from injury and look what happened from all this, you know, the most beautiful life I could have ever dreamt is unfolding before me. As I continue to team up with these microorganisms and trying to teach what they do and teach it in the right way and, and keep the little ones involved so that they can carry that knowledge home with them. And I think that's where I have, you know, the most success because adults, as you know, like you said, we're so carved in our, in our ways and so rigid in our ways, but the little ones have a way into that world, and the little ones have a way of seeing a, your genuine side. And I can't teach these kids a lesson that I didn't believe in. They just look at me and they'll lose their attention. <laughs> it's so funny, but if I, if I gave them a lesson I really believed in, if you had, the teacher had to come get them to get them back to class. We're having so much fun. So, I had to always be real, be myself, which is good practice, right? Because you know, sometimes we don't always get to do that. But with the little ones, they loved it and they encouraged me to do it. And they carried that weirdness home with them. And all of them were gardening now together. We're connected to the soil and we're rolling those little bokachi balls. And man, it's just it's, it's a good time.
0: Okay, yeah. So, let's go on to how to now. So, we've, we've mm-hmm. taken our, our corn or our corn. Um, uh The corn cobs, right, and then we put it into a basket. We buried it um, uh, under a under a specific, like shady tree where it's really fertile. The soil's awesome, right there, and it's covered. and How long do I wait?
1: If it's been raining, only go about three days. Right. If it's kind of yeah, if it's sunny, just regular days, we'll go. We'll go about nine days, and I think nine days we get a good inoculation. But I did find that um, because it does vary inside of the basket sometimes, that if it got soggy in there, I would then grow some more anaerobics than I liked. So I always now put fifty-fifty biochar to fifty-fifty organic matter that I'm using oh. to collect, and this this ensures that the biochar is uncharged. So I'm going to catch all my really nice aerobics, right? From the uncharged char, they're going to really love that char, and then the soggy matchy stuff, I'll be able to get a, the beneficial anaerobics that I'm I'm seeking. And being that the charge does have an electron charge, it does keep a barrier in the basket so that pathogens do keep away when you, the um, beneficial microbes are present. And that's why it's so important to collect the beneficial microbes, because we're finding that with only 5% beneficial microbes, um, we're looking at 5% beneficial, 5% pathogenic but we're looking at 90% of the microbes that they're studying are opportunistic, which means sometimes they're behaving good and other times they're behaving bad. Wow. So if we can incorporate the beneficial microbes from the start, we can ensure that that 90% opportunistic group is going to behave beneficial and then you can really have that sustainable um, setting in place by just enlisting that 5%. Kind of like society, I think, right? If we have our 5% pathogenic leaders running things and we're kind of act like a job. We're we'll wow. following beneficial leaders, and then we can swing things around the other way. That's, That's what, fascinating. what they do about the microbes. They're so much like humans. And the more I learn about them, the more I see we're kind of mirrors to them. Not to mention, we're 10 times more microbial than blood cells. It really pushes my um, thinking in that direction. That We're mirror these guys, not only in um, behavior, but other ways as well.
0: That is amazing. Okay, so now we've got this. We've got this medium whether It's rice or corn cobs. The biochar aspect is brilliant. I've never thought about the idea of making the compost or 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 brokashi with the biochar in there at the beginning. That would make it so. Holy cow! What would that do in a compost? That is crazy. Okay, you got it.
1: And sometimes even a little molasses in with that mixture too will give the beneficials a good food source to charge up. So we sometimes add a little molasses to the char on the what, the soaked rice or the um, corn, whatever you're using to collect. So the biochar and the molasses, I always like to add. And then keep it in mind the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. So that's, that's yeah. bacterial food, the molasses.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: sir. Um, and, then, we, and we
1: find that the molasses really drives the microbial colonies fast and quick. As to where, if I'm using fish, it's more of a slow release um, investment in, in my microbial colony. Oh, I don't get fish, the fish. You, you that I fish? Have, they don't run up. Yeah, yeah. The fish. So if I use a fish emulsion, it's more of a slower um, uh, a food source for microbes, and the molasses seems like a more rapid food source. So if I need to really grow these things quick, I, I run to the unsalted molasses. Wow. But if I have established soil, I kind of like to put a portfolio of fish so it lasts a little bit longer. And of course, you know, the um, there's lots of minerals. And that's what I like about the char. Char provides the mineral for our collection, but uh, lots of minerals have always should be used with the microorganisms.
0: Okay, so this is super fascinating to me, because in my understanding is the fish hydrolysate and fish in general, you know, uh, chitin, these are providing complex um, compounds uh, that can only be broken down by fungi. And so that's a fungal dominant, the, the one that takes longer, that's fungal dominant Bokashi. And then the the one that's quicker, that's bacterial dominant Bokashi. So that's super cool because that will allow you and, and anyone who's hearing this and wanting to replicate these things to, to, to calibrate your Bokashi to your blueberries or, To your garden, because your garden's gonna want bacterial food. It's higher on the spectrum uh, and the bacterial to fungal, uh, fungal to bacterial ratio. And then blueberries, we all know, like acidic soil, so they're closer to pines. They like, you know what I mean. So that that would Mm -hmm. be the fish.
1: No, you're on it, and that's designer bokashi. We call it, and actually, all bokashi should really be designed specifically for the farm. You know, you really become a practitioner for that land. And it's like making a yogurt or a kombucha for that land. Wow. If we're drinking a kombucha, depending on what we're trying to treat, we're going to incorporate different herbs for that. So um, everybody's Bokashi should really be different according to the site and that practitioner, and then things available um, from that community. So that's where Bokashi is only the beginning. That's just hopefully to get you excited to take it to the next step, I mean, now we're we're adding in our worm castings. Now we could literally take most of our of our compost teas that a customer would be brewing. I could stabilize most of that in a bokashi during the winter season. Make all that stuff, have it all dried. So basically, when they're feeding as they would their compost tea, they're just sprinkling that bokashi that's specifically designed for that feeding period on top of the plants as a top dress and watering it in, so they don't. You know, a lot of the people I work with have a lot of disabilities, they're seniors. They, they really want to go organic, but the compost tea, they're making too much, they're making too little, they're throwing ingredients away. If I could just stabilize that in a, in a Bokashi, and we're going in at about a 10 to 15% of different organic amendments, like the worm castings and guanos or whatever we're choosing to kind of design it for, the, the different um, rabbit manures and things, 10 to 15%. We're adding that in, but I can stabilize my tea brewing and I can make sure that I have my my biochars in there to support my aerobic uh, colonies, my bokashi to support my beneficial anaerobic. And you can see where I can save a farmer a lot of time, and especially the off-season when they're tooling their thumbs if they're not farming, by making their bokashis during that season. Wow. You're on it, man. You're on it thinking about that designer fine-tuning. So we well, now I'm thinking about
0: – now you got me thinking about this whole idea of stabilize. I've never heard of this concept. So you would take that compost tea and then you would pour it onto your – Negative. You, Not the
1: tea, Matt. The ingredients that you use for making the tea, Yeah. we we add that to the wheat bran. So oh. like if I have 50 pounds of wheat bran, I would then go in my 20, 15 to 20% of those other stuff that I'm usually brewing – my kelps, whatever, yeah. whatever I'm working with there, I'll add back to the Bokashi. It then gets fermented during the 21 day ferment and bioavailable during that fermentation in ways my teeth just can't get to it in that short amount of time. That it's actually, I'm really stretching my, my cost because we're using a lot less of it. It's a lot more bioavailable and you just are just really cost savings is all there bioavailability is all there, taking it through the fermentation first. we know Everything we take through that fermentation creates such a spectrum catalyst of other things that is needed for biology to pop and to really uh, get going. So that's really what I'm interested in. Not so much, I really like the organic ingredients, but what happens after I ferment them, how available they are, when I put them in, really is where my cost savings comes in. And my boost in nutrients, my uh, my nutrient density profiles really get good when I can ferment those goodies first and then send them out.
0: Wow. Okay, so now we've got our inoculated, awesome Bokashi going. We pull it out. It's nine days later, three days later. We're. What do we do to take it from this medium into those Bokashi balls?
1: Okay, so however much um, collected... Uh, material organic matter you have let's add um, 20 times volume to uh, that up to 20 times the volume of some wheat bran and then we're going to add some water, molasses and more Bokashi so then for, for in a 5 gallon bucket you add about 6 ounces of molasses and then you're going to add um, probably 10% biochar to that laid out medium that you have that's uh, a portion of your collected medium. Does that make sense? Yeah. You follow me? Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to mix all that stuff together. You're going to mix all that stuff together, and to you, your about a twenty percent moisture content. So just so when you squeeze it, just barely water starting to come out of that that that, that medium. Then you're going to throw it into a pickling barrel. If you don't have a pickling barrel, go ahead and use um, plastic bags, but make sure you use several plastic bags and you take all of the air out of the bags when you tie it up. Now, what's going to begin to happen during the fermentation, you're going to have some, the microbes are going to start consuming the sugars, and the gas from one microbe is going the CO2 being produced from the yeast, is actually going to be food for the uh, photosynthetic non bacteria. So we'll consume that gas and then switch out oxygen and then feed those microbes. So inside of that closed medium, they're going to have, CO2 producing microbes and oxygen producing microbes, taking all that stuff through a fermentation for about 21 days. And you'll notice that that bag, if you do it in a bag, going to swell up like a balloon from all the gases. And then that other microbe is going to start to consume that um, CO2 being produced by the yeast and squeeze it back down. That's about 21 days. Then you can either use that fermentation brush out of the bag out in the garden top dress out in the in, in the garden on top you can make compost teas from that from that material we like to use that in our composting system so that we pickle our composting before we send it out in what's called a Bokashi bucket and but you many uses for that material but it's like micro- full of good microbes full of all of the vitamins that microbes need and if you send that out to your garden and water that right in and uh, that would be your your, your fertilizer for your garden.
0: Fascinating. That is fascinating. So so how often would you do that? Yeah, so
1: as I said, each site, because we're the practitioners for each site, has a different requirement. And, and so that being said, a lot of us have a, a lot of waste going off of our property where oh, if yeah. we looked at it in a different eye of, what would that look like fermented and unlocked? And how beneficial would that be for my garden? You then begin to realize how much you can actually trap and put back in. Sometimes we don't have enough going off. And on our school site I was at, the you know school having no money, nobody wanted to pay the garden. I would go to the beer companies. The beer companies make one batch of beer with the grain and toss that stuff out. I would go get the beer grains, and that would be my Bocacci medium. And then I would um, add my microbials on that beer grain, and get some really nice precautions. And when they're making their oat beers, and they've made they about nine different beers over there at uh, downtown Joe's in Napa, we had access to some of the best grains you could ever imagine. So these things are always free in your fingertips. Your, in your, in your I mean, Matt, I even went to the farmer's market, the guy doing the kettle corn. He'd spill a bunch of that stuff on the floor, all the popcorn already popped. I mean, the kids from the school garden would take a 55-gallon drum there, leave it for him for the day, and he'd fill that thing up within a couple hours, and then we take that back, Matt, ferment that and make Bokashi with that, pop popcorn. Oh, wow. So any, or as I said, Bokashi means fermented organic matter. and they, they, All that means is however nutritious the organic matter, it's going to mean how good the Bokashi is. So we know the wheat bran has a lot of good nutrition left on it, so the Bokashi's really good that way. Rice is even better and more nutritious. Making it with rice bran, you should see what happens to your plants then. But that, don't let that limit you. The, the the popcorn stuff was so fun to make. And um, living in Napa, these guys would crush their wine grapes, toss that stuff out. My goodness, the Merlots are so dense with sugar, we wouldn't even have to add molasses. We would make grape waste, Bokashi. Wow. And these kids actually – yeah, and the kids were so fine-tuned to the. I get it from the parents. They all own wineries. Some of these little boogers knew exactly – what grape waste you were making bakashi with just from the smell they would know it's pinot or they would know it's cabernet these little kids are sharp but you you can grab these organic matters from anywhere and i think the best stuff i ever made was the stuff that was free people were throwing out and that's kind of the way of the world i think you know is um finding that refuse and converting it back into gold just made us so excited and still does I, I still love to think about things i can trap from juice bars and
0: You know, I think you just said it right there. There's so much, there's such a thrill that you get when you do something where you're turning a problem into a solution, where you're partnering with microbes, with nature on this. And, you know, it was a spiritual level to our ancestors. Uh, You know, people were like, oh, science. Oh, it's just germs. Oh, it's just waste. And, you know, all these things are gifts to other cycles. All these things are what we call magic. Uh, yes. So yes. there's so much there, and that's the reason the children readily recognize it. Um, they have the ability to do all that complex science that for us explaining it and defining it, you know, takes us to the upper reaches. I mean, this new book I designed for high schoolers, people are saying it's, you know, Graduate level information. Um, but kids can do it. So why shouldn't they know it? <laughs> you know? and so
1: no it's, no, it's true. You'll be surprised what they can grab. I mean, when, if you, when you look at when I would get the uh, school meetings and told the principal and the 13 other teachers I was going to teach microorganisms in the kindergartners, they just kind of look at me like, we don't even know what that is. But once the program started, Everybody was so invested into the thing. It was the school, the dynamics of the school completely changed because of that. But when you look at it on paper, we can't teach them this. But then when you can implement it in the way that you you see that, I I kind of play with it, and make it very simple and fun to to explore those areas. Everybody's on board, and it just opens up such a beautiful um, learning space when we begin to. Oh, look with those new eyes, that new excitement. It's like we're exploring. It's like none of us really know what we're doing here, but we know it feels good. So I kind of keep going, you know? It's just keep, keep pushing it that way.
0: I think it's pretty clear you know what you're doing now. And I think we need to figure out some way to get you a grant and get you connected <laughs> to a bigger audience because you've got, you know, the tail of something huge. Um, the, the ability to teach microbial awareness partnership in a safe and beneficial way with children is seemingly impossible to most educators if not almost all and and i know there there are science grants still um people like to say that you know we're at a time period where all these things are happening and being cut and everything and it's like sort of But then there's a whole other argument out there that, like, those branches of the government are just kind of ignoring those statements because they haven't cut any budgetary funding at all to those areas. And so they're still just operating. So I think
1: one pond that we're not fishing, Matt, and you got to look at, and it's the Mental Health Service Act. When I was with the Native American group in Napa, we were getting funds to teach gardening in school and in people's homes through the Mental Health Service Act and that's because they know that there's certain microbes that once you're in contact with, they then create serotonin in the brain. So I was able to work an angle to where teaching these kids an outlet so that they can make wise choices when they want to feel good and I'm talking about neurobiology stuff get their hands in their kid kind of thing the Mental Health Service Act they loved it And they love this bocce stuff, making bocce with the kids, rolling the bocce balls because we're in the dirt. So I think what we need to do is really align our programs up with that, with the science behind the microbials that are connected to neurobiology. And you'll find that there's a lot of funding happening. The problem I had was actually, there was such a shift within the dynamics of how groups are set that... it, it's a wave that happens, and what I mean by that is the Native American groups, the funding really is to just teach Native Americans, and I didn't like that at all. Most of my kids were not Native Americans. You couldn't tell them that. we're in Arrowheads and I'm teaching them all the traditions, but when you do the paperwork, the finances for other areas are set to teach just Native Americans, and I think that's where the poison is, because what good is it? Where I'm at in Napa, most of our Native kids aren't going to college. The kids I was teaching in the schools were some of the best colleges in the country they're going to attend. I felt that by teaching them the Native way and really letting them feel part of my culture meant that when they grow up and they make decisions, they're going to feel connected. But you can see the way things are written today, and they tell me that, Mr. Ria, these are not Native kids. We have to cut the program in half, and you can see where it's hard for me to keep that strength of passion because I feel like my, my medicine needs to reach – I don't care what race you are. If you want to learn about dirt, let's do it. But to have programs geared towards certain groups or in Napa, you, these are very well-to-do. The, the kids would actually go to their parents' maps when they're running their sprays through the vineyards crying, telling them to shut it off because they're hurting the microbes. Now, you could tell – you could, the parents that would come to me, they weren't happy about what I was teaching them. Telling me what's happening out here. Why is my kid yelling at me about doing a farm work out there? My guy's got work. So you can see, as much as we love it, Matt, there's a whole other group that doesn't love it as well. You begin to open doors and questions. Our own principal, when I'm collecting 50 pounds a day from 150 kids, is now embarrassed instead of congratulating us for our collection of how much we have, and the solution is to kind of, you know, tuck it away. You can see where this thing makes a crossroads in everybody's life. What role are you, or do you choose to, to adapt with what happens in these kinds of explorations? And not everybody's always on board. You know, here in Portland, I moved to Portland. Portland, Oregon, man, they like this. They love this stuff. My kids have been telling me for two years before I moved up here, Yeah, you've got to do this in Portland, what you're doing in Napa. Napa's probably one of the most conservative communities you could ever do this in. But I figured if I could do it there, I could do it anywhere. We did amazing stuff in Napa. But very conservative people, there they don't always embrace this type of uh, interaction, development. They want to keep the garden in a pretty flower-picking level. And maybe not so much collecting every single bit of trash the kids throw out at lunch. They gets to shake the tree a bit, you know? And like uh, it, it if you're hearing this, like I said, if you're hearing this, it's up to us. And we have to really vote with our dollar. You're buying organic. You're giving us the resources that we need to survive. And without you voting, without you supporting, without you doing your part, and you're listening to this, man, we're dying out. Yeah. You know, I closed my bakashi. I closed my Bocacci business. I closed my em business. I, I, I did it for seven years. The resources aren't there. The energy had to go back to my family, getting us situated here. But don't think I'm not going to resprout up here in Portland once we get all settled in again. But that's what, you, that's what we got to do as, as, as a community is we have to support each other. We have to invest in each other. Without that, we, we may lose some of our, our best activists. And I'm, I'm seen that happen as being involved in this for 10-plus for, uh, years is the support needs to be there. And Oregon, they got that, Matt. They're really into the craft development here, the farm, the cable. And, and, and they, they like that bit of strangeness that comes with it. I think it's going to be a different place. I'm rooted in different soil here in Portland than I was in Napa. But definitely the energy from all those little ones, I carry in my heart every day, and I'm going to use that medicine to develop here in Portland as well.
0: I love it. I'm so happy that we were able to work this out. You know, our listeners definitely don't know, but... uh, I'll let them know now. This is, uh, we've been trying to have this conversation for over a month, I think, now. <laughs>
1: True story. True story. He's uh, dealing with a native who's still stuck in his old ways and myself. And he, I wanted to do Skype, and I thought I had a Skype going. I was able to do it with my daughter, but for some reason I couldn't um, get it going with Matt. But our next talk, if we do another one, I'm going to figure out how to do that camera. So we even put a face to this uh, crazy voice, and um, <laughs> yeah, and, and connect
0: with everybody that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I learned more about Korean natural farming and Bokashi from you than from all the people wanting to argue with me on Facebook about it. Because you know, I post all this stuff because <laughs> I Elaine's my my soil mentor, and Peter McCoy is my fungi and soil mycology mentor and it's them together that really has informed me and all and rooted my understanding um in my garden and i've I've basically you know worked with them for you know for a while now and they i've been like all right so that's cool now now how does that actually look like in the garden you know what i mean and you did that so effortlessly you brought it down and that's why You've got this gift to work with children. And I want the Portland community, the international community to really tap your shoulder and, you know, bring you or bring resources to you um, that will allow you to share this with the world. Because, I mean, what's going on in America right now on so many levels is a fundamental breakdown of the critical thinking and really, scientific reasoning faculty of the common person. True story. And, and
1: I can't wait to tackle this. Yeah, you're you're on it. We're gonna smash this thing right in the mouth. We got the <laughs> oh, human no. library. Pro- no, we got the human library program, and I'm excited about the human library as much as I am about gardening. But oh, the human awesome. library program, you find it, if we had like a group of people here, Matt. Say we had 20 people at our meeting, and we divided the group in half, 10 and 10. What we do is make half the group get a, a name tag, and they become a book and they become a book or a specialist in anything that they choose. And what I feel is everybody is a specialist in something. They just don't get the stage like you and I do. You know, but we found that when we do the human library, you may find that this person who you thought was just a specialist in one thing, they're really gifted in, in, in something else. But you have half the group books and half the, book, half the group becomes readers. At that point, you can then release the readers to the books. And just like a library, not every book's going to get checked out. But the point is, the readers then are going to engage with the books. And you can then sit with the guy with the Mohawk you thought was just a little uh, punk rock kid. I didn't know he was involved in Hoogle Mounds, but he has a Hoogle Mound tag on him. But you can begin to break down walls and barriers to people by letting them be specializing in, in, as the book and life that they are. And then then you switch the group around and the other half become books and the other half become readers. And it becomes a lot of fun when you have a lot of people. And you can see where sometimes multiple people are going to read the same book. And like I said, sometimes no one's going to read you at all. But if you can find people who encourage you to continue to exercise your gift and co-create your gift, I think really that's where we're at. Everybody needs to co-create that gift. The only way I think to encourage that co-creation within each other and not only that, it helps me find people sometimes. There's people who love math. I hate math. and in business, you've got to love math. but so you, you, you find people sometimes who have areas that you're looking for under the, the human library introductions. And not only that, you begin to let the quiet ones who sometimes have the most data in a subject and say me a lot of um, and get really good information that way you can see the benefit in the community. So we're going to start doing that up here in Portland. Wow. And I, this, this time when I do these things, I'm going to definitely try to get more into the camera. My son just got enrolled in a production um, uh, college course, so he's going to help us along to record more of this stuff, more of the lessons that we do, so that, like you said, the other educators can harvest, use, borrow, develop, complex, any of the stuff that they want. And it's only going to make a better planner. But I think I think what we'll see is you're going to find during human library you're going to think this guy was in one way and he's going to blow our minds because he's a completely different way and very useful to us and this is a good way to find useful people and and let people continue to co-create and not just follow people's path but really complex their own special way this um, unique thing that's happening that we find in permaculture and. Many other areas that are attached to that development.
0: Wow, truly people care. Thank you so much for coming on, Kwadamuk Via. We are so blessed to have you um, in the world sharing your gifts and to have you on today. I'm
1: honored to be here, Matt. It's been a long time. We don't get to talk much. It is nice though. And this is, I love talking with you that it's being recorded like this. It gets to unfold heart to heart. And this is what permaculture does. So we find more people heart-to-heart like that, and we share those experiences, and hopefully spark some more fires to keep this thing going. But lots of love to all you guys who are in the soil, hands in the soil, teaching the little ones, thinking about taking on this type of mission. Lots of love and light to everybody, and um, until next time. Wonderful. Until next time. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. bye bye
0: Awesome. I love Cuauhtémoc Villa. He is an incredible guy. He's a family guy. He really is a person of integrity, and I, I admire that. I really do, and I always like to surround myself and to populate my events and my content with people with high integrity because it's, it's your example and it's your integrity that reinforce each other when we're showing these examples to other people if you're a bad you know social example but a good you know gardening example your message might not go far enough your message might get caught up on the mistakes you're making in your people care right I am so impressed with what he has done and I want to bring it to more people and show more people what he's done. And I want to learn more from it. I want to observe it. And if you want to support people like Quattamacvia, you have to really seek them out. Um, you, most of us are so busy just keeping up with life, with family members that are sick, with you know children homeschool, with dishes, <laughs> laundry, right? The real stuff you know not having health care in order to keep creating the content we are creating the books I'm writing the courses I'm creating the memes I'm putting out that are reaching over hundred and fifty thousand people in the course of a day all these things that I'm generating the time I'm spending on it takes money <laughs> requires support and we could really use your support especially right now we could really use your support so if you guys want to go over to our page go to support click on support five dollars ten dollars whatever donate there to support permaculture student series to support the podcast to support the over a dozen books that I have yet to write that I've planned out, the nine translations that are ready to be printed. All, there's dozens of things I could list. And they're all just waiting to happen. But it's time and money that I don't have right now. And I would love it if you could help me help more people. For Matt Powers, have an abundant week.